son comes to the Father, but through him. And this is why the gospel is the good news. Death no longer has any power over Jesus. Therefore, it no longer has any power over you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you're believing for anything else from God, you're believing for small stuff. Inspiration for today. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to my life. I ask you to minister to my heart. I ask that your word would be revealed to me today in a way that I would understand it so that I can speak it and do it and see it change my life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're starting a new series and um, it sort of lines up in a way very loosely with the special offering and um, the series is called Win When Everything's Against You. Tell the person next to you, you can win when everything's against you. Now, looking, looking at this, um, you also need to understand uh, what, is, what is there that's going to stand in the way of victory. The first is if you've got the wrong definition of what success is, and if your definition of success does not come from the Bible, it is a wrong definition. And the second thing is, to understand what are you doing in your life that doesn't line up with the Word of God. Now, here's a big thing. When it comes to winning in life, today we focus on the fact that rebellion is the enemy of your victory. We're going to talk about this today, but every single problem you have comes out of rebellion. There's not one single problem that you have in life that does not come out of rebellion. Even last week when we looked at the story of blind Bartimaeus, and um, we looked at the fact that people that are, in, that are spiritually blind are going to make wrong decisions. Even when you look at these aspects, the spiritual blindness, the physical blindness, any kind of blindness, deafness, or anything like that, comes out of rebellion. When we go to a funeral, we go to funerals because of rebellion. All right? Everything comes out of rebellion. If you want to know what sin is, it starts with rebellion. It ends with rebellion. It is rebellion. Rebellion is the worst word ever invented. It's a word worse than death because it's the word that invented death. In Mark chapter 10, verse 51 and 52, when Jesus comes, or blind Bartimaeus is brought to him, he says, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. But notice, Jesus told him, go, and um, obviously he must have listened because he said, go and receive your sight, and immediately received his sight. So somewhere along the line, you've got to listen to God. God says, listen, with your rebellion and with your sin, I've made a solution for it. 
It is the death of my son on the cross, pouring out every drop of his blood for you. That is the solution. You've got to have faith in me. You've got to have faith in him. You've got to have faith in what I did for you. You've got to have faith in the gospel. You've got to believe the gospel. You've got to do the gospel. But you know what? You have to believe it. If you believe it, no hell. If you don't believe it, hell. When Jesus was coming along the, the, the way, how do we know that blind Bartimaeus had faith? Because he started calling out to Jesus. He starts calling out to him. And the people are telling him, shut up. Why are you speaking here? You're making a noise. Can't you see we're busy? Jesus is busy with stuff. And then he shouts even louder. If someone tries to stop you getting to the Lord, you press in even harder. And the second time when he shouted out even louder, Jesus stopped. Do you have the kind of faith that stops Jesus in his tracks? And then the people around him said to him, be encouraged. He has stopped for you. Be encouraged. The word of God is true for you. Be encouraged. And then he said, stand up. So you've got to do something. You've got to stand up because before you stand up, you can't move to him and you've got to move to where Jesus is if you want him to move in your life. And then they tell him he's calling you. And every one of us has a calling of the Lord and at that point when they say that the Lord is calling him, he takes his cape, his coat, and he throws it down. The coat represents his life, his blind life. Many people are building their lives in a rebellious fashion against the work of God. And Jesus told a parable, which we looked at last week, of a rich man who had a bumper crop. Everything was going for him. And he had an unusually large crop and he thought he's made for life. I'm going to build bigger barns so that I can store all of my wealth in those barns. And Jesus said this to him in, in Luke 12. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? I want you to realize, if you're preparing stuff for yourself against the will of God, who's going to get it? That's what Jesus is asking. If you're preparing stuff for yourself, against the will of God, who's going to get it? And it's a very sobering thought when you sit down and you begin to analyze that. And this is why I'm telling you, you can study the entire Bible. Rebellion is the enemy of your victory. We live in a country where all of us, if we are living in South Africa, we have all been contaminated with this. And that is an attitude that goes firmly against government. And when I say it's an attitude that goes firmly against the government, I'm including those that are in the government. And here is what the Bible says about this. It's a passage I'm sure you've heard many preachers preach. Now, you don't often hear it today. And that is from Romans chapter 13, verse 1 to 3. It says this, let everyone be subject to governing authorities. Subject is like you're a subject of, of a king. It means they tell you what to do. 
We love that one. Don't tell me what to do. I'm a South African. Now I'm a foreigner. No, no, you act like the South Africans. You also say, don't tell me what to do. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. Even if the authority has put some cash in the couch on a, on a farm called Palapala. We're all complaining about the cash in the couch. But what if that was our couch? Or what if you'd had the opportunity to steal that couch? Most of us probably would have stolen the couch. What, $4 million or whatever it was that was in that couch? He said he sold some, some game, you know what I'm saying? For that money. Yo, those bucks must have been expensive. Eh? But even if there was dollars in the couch, for no authority, for there is no authority except that which God has established. So right now, God established President Suramaposa to be the president. God established Raymond Zondo to be the chief justice. They are established. And then he says, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. We want to be free. So, sorry, do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. Now, the only time this doesn't count, and the only time you see people in the Bible standing up against the authority is when the authority has gone against the Bible. And that's not what I see why people go against authority. If the power's been out for four days, they go against the authority. If they're stealing the money, they go against the authority. If they put in e-tolls, they go against the authority. They, put, they go against the authority for things that they feel affects them. That go against what they want. We don't see people, for example, standing up and saying, President Sir Ramaphosa, it doesn't matter what you say. I have to listen to God and not you. I'm still going to preach the gospel. We don't have too many South Africans saying that. I'm talking about just the Christians now. And then I, I, I was thinking about something that I heard Dr. Derek Prince talk about many years ago. And, and it has to do with the, the nation of the United States of America. But America celebrates the 4th of July every year. It's Independence Day. Some of you may have seen there's a famous movie with Will Smith, Independence Day, where all the aliens come. Now, Independence Day was the day when some of the leaders within the United States made a declaration of independence from the dominion of the Kingdom of Great Britain on the 4th of July, 1776. And 1776 today is celebrated within the U.S. If you know anything about Americans, the 4th of July is a huge day for them. They all say to each other, Happy 4th of July. You know why we say Merry Christmas or Happy New Year? They say Happy 4th of July. It's a concept within America that used to be universally supported by everyone in America. 
I mean, I never realized what a big deal it was to Americans until times when I went to, to Sydney to the Hillsong Conference, and often the Hillsong Conference would be on the 4th of July, and they'd all start wishing all the Americans at the conference happy 4th of July. That's when I began to realize it's a huge thing in America. Now, it's not universally supported within America today. There are still people that celebrate 1776. There are still people that still celebrate the 4th of July. But if you look at the Democrats, and the reason why there's such a battle going on in America, the party of Joe Biden, they don't celebrate the 4th of July. And so in order to get their things going, the Democrats many times abuse the system with whatever they can get away with when they're in positions of power, and they abuse the system to get control of schools, to get control of law enforcement agencies like the police, to get control of prosecution agencies. If you've watched American programs, you'll see they talk about the DA, the district attorney. That's like our NPA, the, the National Prosecuting Authority. Or even legal bar councils that control lawyers and judges. And the moment a lawyer comes and stands up for a church, they get them disbarred to get control of the society. That's, that's what's going on. And the thing that many Americans don't realize is that the Democrats are actually operating in the spirit of the rebellion of 1776. And Dr. Derek Prince, I heard him say this many years ago, that there's a curse over the United States because it was a nation that was founded on rebellion. And I'll never forget the first time he said that. I was sitting there in my house listening to this, and it, I couldn't help but escape the fact that South Africa's political spirit is very similar, the spirit of rebellion. Now, what is the problem with this? There's a huge problem with this. Because if you're operating under the spirit of rebellion, you're operating under the power of the enemy. And to understand the problem with this, we've got to, we've got to look at the question, what is man? Right? We're not like those who can't describe a woman. Amen? If you ask me what is a woman, I'll be able to tell you. But what is man? And when we're talking about what is man, we're talking about mankind. Male and female, he made them. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now that may not mean a lot to you, but I'm going to break this down a little bit to today and over the next few weeks. If you look at that verse, I want to just read it to you again, and I want you to think about it. Because it, what, what I'm saying is going to come from this verse. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. So when you look at man created by God, man is two separate sources. The one source is from heaven and the other source is from earth. The source from above is eternal. It is in breathe. It has been breathed into him by Almighty God. And when God breathed into man, he breathed his spirit into him. And so man has a spirit. You want to know what, 
you know, many people, because of evolution, uh, say you're just an animal. Many intellectuals will say you're just an animal. I'm telling you, no, you're not just an animal. God breathed his spirit into Adam, and you have inherited this trait from him. You have a spirit. And the spirit came from the spirit breath of Almighty God. The spirit in you was formed by the spirit breath of Almighty God. And so that part of you, that spirit came from heaven. It distinguishes you from the monkeys. It distinguishes you from a banana. It distinguishes you from a giraffe. It puts you in a league of your own. And then from below, God formed you out of clay, out of the dust of the earth. He made you from the ground. And so now you've got the spirit, you've got the clay, and the union of the spirit and the clay, the clay obviously becoming the body, the union of the spirit and the clay produces what the Bible calls a soul. Now we've spoken before about your soul being your mind, will, and emotions, but what your soul is, is a complete human personality. It's who you are. Two words for spirit and soul in Hebrew indicate the nature of each. The, the, word, for, the word for spirit is ruach. And what ruach says, it's a steady, continuous, ongoing breath. The self-existent, eternal nature of God. I want you to realize that part of you is eternal. Part of you is never-ending. Part of you is never going to die. It's continuous. It's self-existent. And it's also, there's a piece of the eternal nature of God within you. That's why you have what's called a conscience. That's why you can know what is wrong. That's why, guys, if you steal another guy's girlfriend, you do it in secret because the spirit inside of you tells you this is wrong. You better not let anyone else know that you're busy doing this. That's why if you steal someone's money, you do it in secret. You don't advertise it. Because something inside of you tells you that it's wrong. It's your spirit. And then the word for soul is nefesh. And, it, and what nefesh suggests, it's the first breathing in, or the, the first breathing in, which is followed by breathing out. So in other words, the soul comes from something that was breathed into you. Now, the soul is dependent because God had to breathe into you before you could breathe out. So the soul is dependent. It's not self-existent. And the soul must receive from God and it must be maintained by God or it can't exist. In life, and this is important for you to understand, your soul is dependent on your spirit. Your personality is dependent on your spirit. Your, your, your soul, your personality, you, your mind, will, and emotions, all of that stuff, whatever you want to call it, cannot exist without your spirit. When we rebel, and when man originally rebelled in the Garden of Eden, 
The problem that was created was that radical changes happen in man's total personality. Radical changes happen in your personality. And they are destructive. They destroy you. And so all human problems ultimately go back to one root cause. Rebellion against God. Every problem that you have goes back to rebellion against God. In Isaiah 53 verse 6, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There is the problem. We've all gone our own way. Every one of us. And that's the one thing we all have in common. This is the one basic problem all of humanity has. We've gone our own way. We've done our own thing. We've looked at things as we see them through our eyes. We've all been self-willed. And if we are self-willed, we are rebellious. Now, the very word self-will indicates which area of us this problem originates in. And, and I want you to understand this, and I want you to begin to think today about yourself, how you think, where you stand, and all of that sort of stuff. The soul is the center of yourself. Sometimes people call it the ego. That's why... If someone says you're egotistical, they're saying you're all about yourself. Now, what is your ego? It's a thing that says I want. It's a thing that says I don't want. It's a thing that says I will. Or it's a thing that says I won't. It always starts with I. Your soul is the decision-making body within you. You know, I've spoken before that you are made in the image of God, which means that God is a trinity, you're also a trinity. And the soul is like the Father. The soul is the decision-making part of you. It's your soul that's going to decide whether you're going to receive Jesus or not. Therefore, it's your soul that's going to decide whether or not you end up in heaven or hell. Self-will or rebellion originates in the soul. It doesn't originate in your spirit. It doesn't originate in your body, but it originates in your soul. The sinful human nature, the desires of the flesh, originate in the soul. The flesh just says, I want pleasure. It's the soul that says, cool, let's go for it. And if we... If we are able to analyze our problem, every problem we've got, we'll find that all of them ultimately center in that area of the being which is called in the Bible the soul. All your problems originate out of the soul. And man made a decision with his soul to disobey God. And when he made this decision, he deliberately turned against the commandment that God had given him. Why do people hate it when in the church you talk about tithing? 
It's rebellion against God. It's rebellion against that which gave you everything. You know, many times over the years, I've spoken to people, especially young people. And many times I've spoken to them in relation to their parents. They've been complaining about their parents. And I've said to them, you know, you need to be grateful for what your parents have done. And then they'll come back and they'll start saying things. And I'm not just talking teenagers now. I'm talking about guys that were teenagers 15 years ago and even more. There you see, you're telling me I must be grateful. You're telling me that just because they gave me life and stuff, I must just accept. uh, You're telling me, you're telling me. And and that's, that's the line. And the answer is yes, I'm telling you that. So I'm glad you realize that's what I'm telling you. That's what I'm telling you. You, you should recognize why you are where you are. You should recognize why you're alive. You, sh- you should recognize everyone that is put into your life. For not to do so is total rebellion and it is foolish. You cannot ignore where you came from. You cannot ignore who gave you whatever they gave you for you to be where you are today. You can't just focus all the time on the bad things that have happened. You've also got to look at, but, but what about the, the good things? What about the blessings? What about the education? Or what about whatever? You know, you should be grateful for your parents even if you've got the worst parents in the world. you know why? Because at least they taught you what not to do. Come on, can I have an amen somebody? Even if your parents are the worst, at least they taught you what not to do. The question is, did you listen and did you learn? Or are you doing the same thing? I, there was a time when I, I would deal with teenagers in ministry. My wife would deal with teenagers in ministry. And, and they would complain about their parents. And then they grew up to be a generation that aborted their children. And then I would say to them, yeah, but at least your parents had you. Your parents didn't kill you before you were born. You owe them your life. I understand there's bad things. Maybe some of the most terrible things they've done to you. I understand that. Maybe they ban you. I understand that. But you're alive. You know that today, since 1996, there are millions upon millions upon millions of South African children that didn't even get to be born because their mothers killed them. And then people say, oh, how can you talk about that? It's just like such a person, it's abortion. It's so, no, 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 wait a second. We, we're killing our children. And it's not, it's not just the women who've had an abortion that are responsible. The whole nation's responsible. I mean, we'll complain about not having power for four days. But none of us says a single thing about abortion. I was meeting with some of the younger leaders yesterday, and I spoke to them about this. And then they all claim, no, no, I'm against it. And I say... I hear you talking about, and I'm talking to Manchester Town because they lost their last game. So they're no longer Manchester City, they're now Manchester Town. And then Manchester United, Ronaldo did an interview this week, so I'm saying they Manchester divided. Amen. Amen. I said, imagine if you spoke about this issue as much as you speak about the Premier League. You see, what you're talking about all the time shows, shows what's really important to you. And you know what most of us talk about all the time? We talk about me. So don't talk to me about tithing. 
because you just want my money. But as I've said over many years, when the Glen wants your money, even to park your car, what does checkers lead you walk out, let you walk out with it at the Glen without paying? The only thing you're allowed to walk out with is oxygen that you breathed while you were in the store. You're not allowed to take anything else. There's nothing else in that store that you're allowed to take out of that store. Okay? You obviously can take the stuff you took into the store. But there's nothing else you can take out of the store except the oxygen you breathed in. And then you've left them some carbon dioxide. Amen? You go to the Glen to the movies. Yeah, I want to go see the movie. Well, I can't believe it. They're forcing me to pay. I had to pay for the ticket. Ah, everyone, ah, they forced you to pay. They should let you see it for free. But let the pastor, you come here for free, sometimes you see movies. When you saw the news, you saw some good videos. It's enjoyable. You saw them for free. You go to the movies, you pay to see the same video. Even the adverts, even when they're advertising, you pay to see the advert. They're trying to get you to buy something else. You pay to see the advert. We charge you for nothing. Many people in our church don't have a therapist. Because you're probably going to pay 500 rand plus for half an hour with a therapist. But yeah, you come, you can get advice if you want it. You can get biblical advice. And most of most of the therapists, you go to them about your marriage, they themselves divorced. They might have a degree from a university and the government might say they're qualified to, 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 to give you advice. But they're divorced. They don't know how to make a successful marriage. But now you're going to them for marriage counseling. And we've spoken about the special offering. And some people will resent that. And I want to, that's a rebellious spirit. Because at the end of the day, what are you offering to God? And I just want to, I'm, I'm actually going to do it. I wasn't sure I was 50-50. I'm going to do it. We, we're going to get over 100000 for the special offering this year. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be more than 100000 because of my family. Between myself and my two brothers and my sister. So when I'm telling you to put in the special offering, please understand it. So if you're going to put more than 100,000, then you can come and slap me. If you're not, please understand, I've probably put in more than you. So why are we telling you to put in? Because at the end of the day, the world's operating under a curse. And I want to just finish off and talk a little bit about the blood of conquest. And the blood of conquest means I need to put aside all that rebellious stuff and I need to trust Jesus. Because you know those temptations we have that I spoke about that come to the soul? Jesus overcame the temptations of the enemy. The temptations that Adam failed in the Garden of Eden, Jesus overcame them. He overcame them on our behalf. And the first temptation that came against Jesus when the devil came against Jesus was against his thinking. 
The enemy tried to make Jesus focus on himself. He tried to make Jesus focus on the fact that he was hungry. And he says to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. In Matthew chapter 4. If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Come on, Jesus. You've been in the wilderness fasting here. It's like 40 days, but come on. Come on, you're the son of God. Just tell those stones become bread. They'll become bread. And you can, you can, you can feed yourself. How are you going to get back to the town from the wilderness to go and do the ministry of God? If you're hungry, you're going to faint. Poor Jesus, you're going to faint. You're not going to make it. Just come on, stones turn to bread and eat and you'll have the strength and then you can go and do your ministry. Satan can even come and he can twist the Bible to get you to do what's wrong. But Jesus didn't fall for it. Tell the person next to you, no, Jesus didn't fall for it. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 4, he said, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds on the mouth of God. In other words, the word of God, the Bible, is more important for you to survive than for you to eat. The second temptation was aimed at Jesus' emotions. You know, many times we make decisions on emotions. And the enemy intended to make Jesus act impulsively. You know, when you act on impulse, and he wanted to make Jesus act in a way that's driven by adrenaline, to defy nature with the sole purpose of putting God to the test. He said to him in, in verse 5 of Matthew 4, If you are the Son of God. Now notice he comes every time he says, If. We know Jesus is the Son of God. He's born of a virgin. But he comes, he says, If. The same as he came to Eve and he said, did God really say? If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not even strike your foot against a stone. Come on, Jesus. Imagine you jump off and the angels come and they stop you and you hover for a few seconds just above the ground and then you land gently and you say, voila, they'll all follow you, Jesus. Wow, bungee jumping without a rope and I don't die. Wow, let's go. How many of us would just say, let's go? Impulsively. Oh, it's such a good opportunity. Yeah, just because it's opportunity doesn't mean you should jump. Jesus again chose the right words. He said, it is written. You know, every time you're thinking about stuff like this, you should answer the, the thought with, it is written. You shall not put the Lord your God to, to the test. So round, round one was about, I think, round two was about, I feel. I feel. So Jesus overcame the human element, I feel being driven by emotions. And the third temptation was aimed at his will. The will of Jesus. It says, And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. I want. 
I want. That's not what I want. But this is what I want. I want. I want. I want. I don't want. I want. I don't. I want. I don't want. I want. Before we say what we want, we should find out what the Lord wants and make our want equal to His want. Because otherwise we don't know what disasters we're bringing upon ourselves. And so the enemy tried to seduce Jesus by offering Him glory, fame, and fortune. How many of us would love glory, fame, and fortune? And that's what most people seek. He wasn't dazzled by human crowns. He wasn't dazzled by the things people are dazzled by. In verse 10 of Matthew 4, it says, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. You know what happened at that time? Jesus proved that He was the greatest conqueror of the Word of God ever. Can we just give Jesus the biggest round of applause right now? Amen. Because none of us have achieved this. But he conquered it on our behalf. And when we put our faith in him and we apply the blood of Jesus, we can conquer with him. And we can conquer because of who he is and not who we are. And I want to take a moment again, talk about the blood of conquest. And I want you to think about the thing Vicky spoke about. I want to encourage you. Your special offering, we, we don't talk about it with tithes because you don't tithe to get something back from the Lord. You tithe because the money belongs to Him. The same as you pay taxes because Jesus said the money belongs to the government. But a special offering is over and above that which we give as a tithes. We give as a seed and we can believe God for something there. We can believe that we're going to conquer somewhere where we haven't conquered. We've had so many testimonies over the years of people who have sowed and then the Lord has, has answered them. But because the ground is cursed, the curse on the ground was thorns and thistles, that you will work by the sweat of your brow and all you will receive is thorns and thistles. And so it doesn't matter if you're talking about ministry, you're talking about your family, you're talking about a financial challenge that you're facing. We're talking about areas in your life where you've invested everything in. You've put in all your efforts, but all you reap is, is fatigue. All you reap is, is frustration. All you reap is disappointment. That's what the curse that fell on the earth represents. Regardless of the seed we sow, all we get back is thorns and thistles. When it comes to money, it's like you're putting money in your pockets, but your pockets have holes. And so as it goes in, it falls. It falls to the ground. And because of this, and maybe some of us are like this today, many people have lost their strength for the conquest because of negative experiences and They've allowed stagnation to come into their lives. And they've allowed themselves to conform to a life that avoids the challenges of faith. 
The blood was shed from Jesus' head when they pressed the crown of thorns, as I said last week, into his head. And because of this blood, you're able to uproot the, co- the curse from your life. You're able to live the life of victory that God intends you to live. And so when do you apply this? Well, anytime you need to conquer new settings. Anytime maybe you've got to buy land or maybe God wants you to obtain political influence. Maybe God wants you to extend the ministry to run a cell group. Maybe God's calling you to open a business. God wants to be able to allow you to live a life of financial blessing regardless of your status. Not to say everyone's going to be rich, but that what you need is provided.